Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. The Beginnings, episode 14. Now, before we get started, today we're going to talk about the image of God. But before we get started, I want to clear up uh, a few things from last week. Last week was a very difficult episode. Um, I talked about some of the plural language used in the creation narrative about God. God says, let us make man in our image. And so I had a question from a listener that I, I wanted to address. The question is this. If Moses didn't know about the Trinity, how would he know to use plural words in reference to God? Now, in replying back, I just, uh, you know, I, I replied back with a short text, and then I'll give a little more details here. So, as God revealed himself to Moses, Moses was obviously comfortable with using plural words in reference to God in, in some instances. Um, now, Moses also taught that there is only one true God. And so, th- throughout the, the history of the Old Testament scriptures, there were plenty of times to go back and change these words, yet they remain in Scripture. Moses was not present at the time of creation, but it was God who revealed what happened in creation to Moses. Now, this is too big of a topic to cover right now, but um, just a, a few, just a little bit more information than what I gave last week. In the Old Testament, you have God the and the Lord, Yahweh, okay? But you also have this figure called the angel of the Lord. Now, you have to be Every time you come across the angel of the Lord, you have to read the context and see who's being referred to. But sometimes the angel of the Lord will speak as if he is God or the Lord Yahweh himself. Also in Genesis 18 and 19, this is the story of of Abraham being visited by three men. Two of them turn out to be the angels who went down to Sodom and Gomorrah and were taken in by Lot and his family. But the other stays and talks with Abraham and is referred to several times as the Lord himself, okay? Now, after a conversation with Abraham, Genesis 19:24, and and that conversation by the way is when Abraham's like, you know, Lord, are you going to destroy Sodom if there are 50 righteous people in there? And the Lord says no, and then there's not 50 righteous people, and so Abraham keeps narrowing it down. Anyway, after that, Genesis 19:24, it says this, then the Lord, that's all caps Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, okay? Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. So it, that's that's a strange way of saying it. If it's just the Lord, you know, the singular Lord who is bringing down fire and brimstone, it's almost as if this figure who Abraham is talking to, the Lord that's referred to as the Lord, is on earth, and it says he is raining down fire and brimstone from the Lord out of heaven. So again, just this kind of mysterious um, plural language in the Old Testament. And that that you can see over and over again in lots of lots of different examples. So throughout the the Old Testament, you've got these areas where there's there's it's just it's mysterious. That's the best way to describe it. Uh, but the Israelites, the Jews, are affirming that there is only one Lord, and that but yet they were comfortable with this type of language in their scriptures. Again, you know, I, I believe that God is is behind His word. He has preserved His word so that we have exactly. What he wants us to have today, um, but from just a you know purely 
uh, earthly viewpoint of the scriptures, the the Jews had plenty of time to to change out all these you know instances where there's there's some sort of plurality to the Lord. And so as New Testament believers, we can look back at the Old Testament and see the Trinity you know, in, in the Old Testament, but it's just sort of hinted at. All right, so hopefully that, that helps out a little bit more, and thank you so much to that uh, listener for reaching out with a question. Now, if you ever have questions for me, you can email me, bearchristianity at gmail.com, or on Instagram at the Real Bear Martin, also on Twitter at Bear for Christos. And today's Bear in the Woods, I'm trying to keep some Christmas themes here as we're moving through December. Uh, like most households out there with young kids, we have a silly little elf on the shelf that visits our house. Um, now, some elves I've heard come at different times. My sister's elf comes earlier and earlier every year, which puts stress on everybody else in the family who has kids. Uh, but my sister's elf, try, you know, this year came in early November. So who knows? Maybe the elf will take up permanent residence at my sister's house. But um, our elf is always comes December 1st. All right. And so th that's when our elf comes. So we have 24 crazy nights with our elf. Now, the elf is always doing wacky things around the house. Um, now, the elf, you know, when, when the kids go to bed, the elf goes and, and reports to Santa and then comes back. And when our elf comes back, we hear a little jingle, little jingle bells. And these jingle bells, it doesn't matter what time it is. It always seems to be a few minutes after I've climbed in bed and pulled those warm covers over myself. My eyelids are getting a little heavy. And then I'll hear those little jingle bells that I love to hear. And my wife will say, oh, I think that was Lolly. Lolly's the name of our elf. Um, did, did you hear that, Bear? I think that was Lolly. Why don't you go downstairs and check and see what she's up to tonight? And so I happily and gently lay over my covers and calmly climb out of bed and gleefully skip down the stairs to see what our elf is up to that night. And so this is certainly my favorite 24 nights of the year. All right, our main passage of Scripture today on man being made in the image of God is found in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31. So I'm going to read all of that. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food." And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. 
So today we'll talk about being made in the image or likeness of God. Now there are, just like there are lots of different opinions about last week's episode, there are lots of different opinions about what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, First off, is image and likeness, is it saying the same thing in just two different ways, or is this two separate things that we must split apart? So that, that's, you know, an argument, a debate. Uh, I believe that these are saying the same thing in parallel statements. And so it's just a different way of saying the same thing. Now, I'm going to leave out all the technical arguments. You can research all of that if you want to. Uh, But in the rest of the passage, you know, one of the basic reasons I believe that being made in the image of God after his likeness is just saying the same thing in, in two different ways. Because the rest of the passage is only going to use the word image. And, and I think when, when we see that man is created in the image of God, we can go back and say, okay, he's created in his image and in his likeness. And so it's just a, being made in the image of God is just a shorter way of referring to image and likeness. Now, Genesis 5, likeness is the more common word used, but the same concept is being discussed. So just like in Genesis 1... It says man is made in the image and likeness of God, and then image is the main word that's used throughout the rest of the passage. In Genesis 5, it, it's sort of the opposite. Uh, it talks about—let me just read it for you. Genesis 5, 1 through 3, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So again, I think image and likeness here are kind of saying the same thing two different ways. R.C. Sproul, this is his view. So in the Reformation Study Bible, there's a little box that talks about man being made in the image of God. And, and Sproul says this, quote, that the Bible says we are created in the image and likeness of God has led some to conclude that there is a difference between being in the image and being in the likeness of God. But the structure of the biblical language indicates that the image and likeness refer to the same thing. We are the icons of God, creatures made with a unique capacity to mirror and reflect the character of God. Now, this leads me to my next point, and let me let me read that last part again. We are the icons of God, creatures made with a unique capacity to mirror and reflect the character of God. Now, why would would Sproul here say we are the icons of God? Well, this idea comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, and there the word image is the Greek word icon. And so it's spelled E-I-K-O-N, icon. And so that's we get, you know, we get our word icon from that. An icon would be like a statue or a picture. It's something that represents something else. And so uh, Sproul says, we are the icons of God, creatures with a unique capacity to mirror and reflect the character of God. Now, that's what I believe is being taught here in Genesis 1 when it says man is made in the image of God. I believe the best way to think about mankind being created in the image of God is to think about mankind being a representative of God. All right? So it's not, we are not little Uh, gods that will grow up and become just like God. We are not made of the same substance as God. He is creator. We are creation. We are different. So we are not the, the same type of being as God. So it's not an exact 
comparison. It's more of an analogy in the way that we represent God. So of all things in creation, man is the best image of God, not because of how great man is, but because God made us that way. God created it that way. The second commandment is basically do not make idols or images with your own hands. Now, God made the only image that he will allow to represent himself. We can't go out and carve a golden calf like they did in, like the Israelites did in the wilderness and say, this is a representation of the God who brought us out of the, the slavery in Egypt. No, God will not allow that. The only image he allows of himself is us. Now, that image is to represent God, but not to be worshiped itself. So Romans 1, 22 and 23, I love Romans 1, um, so I read it all the time, but it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, that's the word icon there, icon, images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So the image, when, when, man, when God creates man to be the image of God, Man is supposed to represent and resemble God. That way, when, when, when man does something good, people are supposed to look at the man doing something good and say, wow, that is godly. And so, therefore, the, the praise sort of reflects off of man to God. It, all, all of our goodness should ultimately lead to the glory of God, not ourselves. But in Romans 1, it says that their images are resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. So, so the, they're making these images, which are the purpose of that image is to glorify mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. So they're, they're, they're selling themselves short. They're not glorifying God, the immortal God. Rather, they're making images to glorify man. So an example of how this is supposed to be, how are we supposed to image God? Think about like a, a good king who, who rules the land in a good way, a good king, all right? Now, we are not supposed to make that king some sort of God and start worshiping that king. Rather, we are to recognize that that king, in the way he's ruling, is reflecting or resembling the way our creator rules his creation. He, he rules with justice and love and mercy, all right. Now, all good images are good because they most accurately resemble what they are supposed to resemble. That's what makes a good image. All right. Now, I mentioned that we we are imaging God in an analogical type of way. It's an analogy. So, just like a, a branch is part of a tree, an arm is a part of a person. That's an analogy. So, the first analogy between God and man, and and in how man is made in the image of God, how man resembles God. The first one is right here in Genesis one that God has dominion. And man is has dominion as well. Now, the reason that God has dominion and man has dominion, the reasons that they have dominion are different, okay? God has dominion over all because he is the creator of all things. Man has dominion over all the earth, but he is given that dominion by God. The way we exercise dominion over the earth is supposed to represent the way God exercises dominion over all his creation. Again, this is through love and justice, beauty. God God created a beautiful world. So creation 
displays beauty in organization and and the way colors interact with one another. There's symmetry in creation. And so that's how God created the world and has dominion over his creation. Man is supposed to cultivate and organize the garden and beautify the world. When when man, you know, cuts the grass, or if you're really sophisticated, you may say mow the lawn, but it, when when man cuts the grass, he is organizing and beautifying his yard. And this reflects the way God organizes and has dominion over the earth. Also, God provides his creation with the means to flourish if we align with his commands. And in the same way, a father and a mother exercise dominion over their house, providing an environment for their kids to flourish. So Adam was to cultivate the garden and to have dominion over it, not in an abusive way, but he actually was supposed to work in the garden and and he was to serve the garden. And so this leads us to servant leadership is a way that we can image God. God serves us. Now, it's not that he is below us in any way, but that type of leadership reflects the very character of God. Another analogy would be that God, because he is creator of all things, he deserves honor and respect. And man being made in the image of God and resembling who God is also deserves honor and respect. All human beings are image bearers of God and therefore have certain rights. Genesis 9-6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. So all human life has value. If you kill or mistreat another human, you are defacing the very image of God. Now, I want to be very clear again. We are not little gods who will grow and mature to become just like the big God. Rather, we are images of God. We represent the one true God. Now, as image bearers of God, we we do have greater rights, privileges, blessing, honor. We have we we have greater uh, we have greater honor than anything else in creation. However, that also comes with greater responsibility, and we deserve to be judged and punished if we are not properly imaging him. Now, that's a big problem because sin will distort the image of God. Adam's sin distorted the image of God, and that that sin carries on to us. Now, the, the image of God is still there. It is still there in, in mankind, but it is not complete. It, it's distorted. It's twisted. And so this makes us, because we still bear the image of God, it makes us responsible to accurately represent God, but it also condemns us because we do not represent God and resemble God in the right way. So man still has a moral intuition. The problem is that sin has distorted that. So, so man has this inner idea of right and wrong, but because of sin, we that that's messed up. So we have a sense of right and wrong, but now mankind can, will, will try to argue that it's right and good to let a woman have an abortion. Even if it's seconds before this child is born, people will argue that that is morally right and good. So you see, we, we have this inner intuition that there is a right and wrong and there's moral goodness, but it's distorted. We, we have rationality and logic, and this resembles the nature and character of God, but sin has distorted the way we think.
Rather than acknowledging rationality and logic come from the very nature and character of God, we are we use we try to use our logic and rationality to prove that God doesn't exist. Now we also have we we can appreciate love and beauty and order, but sin has distorted the way that we see this. So, for instance. Watch the Grammys on TV and see what the world now thinks is beautiful. That is very different from what God says is beautiful. Watch clips of drag queen parades, and and our culture calls this stuff beautiful. So we have an idea of something that is beautiful and, and desirable, but it is distorted because of sin. Now, we are all in Adam and we are in the likeness of Adam. Again, I mentioned Genesis 5 where it talks about Adam was made in the likeness of God, and then as he has a son, Seth, Seth is in the likeness of Adam is what the Bible says. So Adam was made in the image of God. Seth has the image of God, but he also has the image now of Adam, and Adam's image is in sin. So because of sin, these these two, uh, the way we resemble God and Adam, it's it's kind of like two different paths. And so we must be saved from the from sin because sin is distorting our very purpose in life. We must get rid of the image of sinful man and we must more accurately represent and resemble God. And again, sin is what prevents this from happening. So how can the image of God be restored? to mankind on the earth. Well, it would require a man to live a life with perfect logic and rationality. Now, I'd like to point out here that nobody ever won a debate against Jesus. His logic is pure. The way he thinks and reasons is uh, was above all others at his time. Um, the way Jesus loved, he, it was perfect love. Jesus exercised perfect justice and mercy and Jesus was the perfect servant leader. In Romans 5, 8, it says, but God shows his love for us. So listen to how Jesus is going to resemble God's love for us. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the image of God in perfection. So, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So we we are in Adam, but, but just a few verses down in Romans 5.17, it says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through who? Through the one man, Jesus Christ. So man, being the image of God, is restored through Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 15 through 17, talking about Jesus, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, that is Jesus, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, as a side note, when it says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, 
Firstborn here means preeminent or a ruler over. It does not literally mean Jesus was, there was a time when there was no Jesus and then Jesus was born somehow spiritually or physically and then now we, you know, now Jesus exists. No, he he is eternal. The second person of the Trinity is eternal. So in, in that culture, the firstborn is someone who had the greatest inheritance and was therefore a ruler over their father's household. So it, it could be thought of as a ruler, the, the greatest of, of those. Now, speaking of David, in Psalm eighty nine twenty seven, the Bible says, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, David was the youngest son of his father, Jesse, so he, he was not firstborn in that respect. And David was not the first king to ever be on the earth. Yet the Bible says that he will that he will be made the firstborn, meaning he will be the greatest of the kings on the earth. Now, also, if we go back to Colossians 1, right after it says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, the very next phrase, it says, for by him all things were created. So if Jesus created all things, then therefore he is not created. He is eternal. So firstborn there does not mean literal firstborn. So Jesus in Colossians 1 is called the image of the invisible God. Jesus' life on earth perfectly resembles or images God's nature and character. So Jesus confronted the religious elite. Jesus showed mercy to the outcast of society and the worst of sinners, yet he told them, go and sin no more. So Jesus didn't come and just say, oh, you know, you're, you're doing that and I just accept you just the way you are. No, Jesus said, go and sin no more. So we have mercy and justice right there together. Jesus perfectly exhibited the, the very nature and character of God. John Frame, a theologian, he says, to glorify God is to image him. To glorify God is to image him. So the way that we glorify God is to to act like God, to resemble his nature and character. Now, Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this, "'Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross.'" Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to what? To the glory of God the Father. So the way Jesus lived life in everything that Jesus did, he resembles God the Father. He, he, is, he is glorifying God the Father. Jesus said in John 14, talking to his, to his disciples, he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So again, there, there's these two categories. There's those who are in Adam, and that is our default. As, as humans, we are born in Adam's sin. And so th- those who are in Adam, and then those who are in Jesus Christ. The Christian life can be thought of as becoming a better image of God and and the image of God being restored, a restoration of God's purpose for mankind. And so our purpose is to image him, to represent him, to glorify him. 
In 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6, it says, In their case, the God of this world, and that's talking about Satan there. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, that is kind of a wordy verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. So you can go back and, and read that on your own time if you want to. But what it's saying there is God reveals himself to us by showing us Jesus Christ. The way that we have the full knowledge of God, it says that that God shines the lights in our hearts, allowing us to see himself, to have a knowledge of God. And how is that done? It is in the face of Jesus Christ. We look to Jesus Christ, and, and that is how we know God. Again, Frame says to glorify God is to image him. And so Jesus is is the one who lived that out perfectly. So if you want to be a better image of God, become more like Jesus. See here, as physical human beings, we, we can look to the way Jesus lived life and we can try to be like Jesus. And so so that's how we better image God. Now this will this will happen in the life of a true Christian. It's not a maybe type of thing. It will happen if you are a true Christian. Romans 8, 29 through 30 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. A true Christian will begin to live like Jesus, to become more like Jesus, to be conformed to the image of the Son. And guess what? If you're conformed to the image of Jesus, in the same way, you will be resembling, you will be conforming to the image of God. Colossians 3, 1 through 10. This is a, a lengthy passage, but it's talking exactly about what I'm what I'm speaking about. And and what what is so uh, as I was studying, I'm like, man, I could just like put these verses together and just just read verses the whole time. It's all over the Bible, this idea of be being conformed, the Christian being renewed and restored into better resembling God, to being made again in, to, to more accurately reflect the image of God. Colossians 3, 1 through 10, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So in a closing verse here, 
1 Corinthians 15, 47 through 49. This is talking, Paul's talking about Christians here. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. So that's talking about Adam being the man of dust, Jesus being the man from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. 